have a big trade in MLB, we have a new name for the disabled list, and we have a new name for Zach Britton, sort of. Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today on a beautiful Kokomo Friday, February 8th. Adam Azer with Scott White and Chris Towers. Heath is somewhere. I don't know. Doing something. Hopefully having fun. But he's not on the show today. What's up, Scott and Chris? I have an announcement to make. Oh, boy. All right. I will be, from now on, going as K. Chris Towers. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Well, that's good. If, if baseball is any indication, that'll be a good change for you. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to keep in with the, uh, with the latest trends around the league. Do people use the team name Keeping It Real Muto? I'm sure someone does. Okay, it's a good team name, Keeping It Real Muto. Things just got Real Muto with the hot stove. He's on the Phillies. So now, who's the number one catcher in fantasy? Scott, it was same as before, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I had it as Real Muto before. Uh, I wasn't totally. I, I I didn't rank him that way without having in mind the probability he would get traded at some point, because you know it, there was just too much smoke there, and uh, you know it, it 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 turned out great. Him going to the Phillies, one of the the best hitter parks in baseball. It's it's a similar move to the one Christian Yelich made going from Miami to Milwaukee last year. Um, night and day difference there, pitchers park to hitters park. And Real Muto, his home away splits during his time with the Marlins even more extreme than Yelich's. Like he was eight fifty to nine hundred OPS guy each of the last three years on the road with you know roughly twice as many homers as he was hitting at home. So I I think he's easily the number one catcher in fantasy. He already easily was a distant number one last year. I mean, I understand Gary Sanchez wasn't himself, but Real Muto was already a distant number one last year. Um and then you factor in this move and like he he could hit he could hit 300 with 30 homers. I I don't think that's obviously an optimistic uh, projection, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. I think that... Okay, okay, okay. Well, look, you sold him a little bit short. I think his OPS on the road the last three years was between 870 and 900. So 850 is even better than that. Um, The only thing I'll say is like, okay, yeah, Real Muto crushed Sanchez last year. Two years before that, Sanchez was much better than Real Muto. And Sanchez's OPS the last three seasons, 1032. That's when he came up and he was just, you know, ridiculous. 876 in 2017 and awful last year, 697. So 876 in 2017, that's pretty much, that's a little bit lower than the average of JT Real Muto's last three years in road OPS, but pretty similar. Um, yeah, I yeah. mean, like if you give both players their best case scenario, it's probably pretty similar. Yeah, that's what I was I thinking. Just, but... I just think Real Muto's probability of meeting that scenario is much higher. I still Chris. think Sanchez's best case scenario is, is higher just because I don't I, I think 30 home runs, like you said, as a best case scenario. I think that's 
unrealistic. Uh, he's had about a thousand plate appearances on the road, and he's at thirty-seven. For um, for Real Muto, you're talking for Real Muto. Whereas I do think Gary Sanchez legitimately has thirty-five homer upside. The last couple years, though, uh, for Real Muto, were were more powerful than the the start of his career. I think he had thirteen homers on the road last year, twelve the year before. I was yep. just writing about this last night, so I'm kind of going off memory. Yeah, no, you, that's a hundred percent right. Uh, I I kind of feel like they should probably be taken. Back to back are very close to it. I would take Romuto ahead. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see if the Phillies let him run at all. That was the one thing that started declining last year. He only had what six stolen bases, um, three, and that was one of the things that yeah. So that was one of the things that kind of before his bat really broke out. That was one of the things that kind of pushed him away from the rest of the catchers. And now if he's not stealing at all, then that puts a lot of onus on the bat and. I have trouble with the home road splits with him just because they're so much starker than anyone else at the, on the Marlins. I don't quite know what to make of it. Yelich's were pretty big too, though. I mean, particularly in terms of home runs, Yelich's were big. So that's why I... But he didn't have like a 200-point OPS difference, right? Yeah, I mean, right. Real Muto was, was impacted even more. But Marlins, Marlins, other than San Francisco, whatever they're calling that park now, Horrible. Marlins Park is is <laughs> probably the most difficult park to hit in. It's it's an it's one of the uh, one on the far end of the spectrum in baseball. So I think Real Muto's move to Phil, like Phillies fans should be partying like it's 1999 right now, as in Mike Lieberthal's 1999. Check out his numbers from that year. No! That's, that's potentially what JT Real Muto could do. We got a Lieberthal ref. What? <laughs> is he a top uh, is he a third round pick or or later? I moved him up to the fourth round. Fourth round. I had him in the fifth, sixth round range, which was close to Sanchez, and now he's in the fourth round. Okay. Heath uh Heath said he was almost willing to say you could take him in the second round. Yeah, I mean, look, Gary that's Sanchez. Not a show. <laughs> we, that's what we were talking about with Gary Sanchez last year, and yeah. that was with Sanchez coming off a season where he had about an eight seventy five OPS, whatever it was, uh, eight seventy six, and that's what Real Muto's done on the road. And it's not just that he's playing all those games on the road; he's in a great hitters park now, yeah, in a good lineup. Really good lineup. And I think they're I, they're probably going to add Machado or Harper. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's a case to be made, certainly. I, I see a lot of similarities in the profiles of these guys, like the batting average, the plate discipline. It's similar. I, I do think Sanchez has a little more upside just because we saw the, what he did when he first came up, and he's younger than Real Muto. But, Adam, yeah? it's okay for a player to be better he is, than a Yankee. He's better than, he is better than Gary Sanchez. Um, but they're similar. Yeah. Yeah. The the one thing I would say is the argument for Gary Sanchez in the second or third round last year was about how good he could be, but also the catcher position at the top seemed weaker than it does this year, I think. Because now last year it was really just Sanchez. I, I know Heath had Posey ahead of Sanchez, but Posey took another step back and he was already pretty clearly not himself last year uh, going into the season. Now you have Realmuto, you have Sanchez, you have uh, Yasmani Grandal, who we're really high on with his move to Miller Park. So they stand out from the pack, but the top guys could be bunched up a little more than they have been. 
All right, cool. That will conclude our JT Real Muto discussion. And Jorge Alfaro goes to the Marlins along with Sixto Sanchez and Will Stewart, a couple of pitchers, Sanchez being the prize there, and also an international bonus slot. Real Muto, by the way, is under club control for two more seasons, so the Phillies are going to be happy about that. Uh, I can't imagine we're too excited about Alfaro. It's a terrible park ship for him. Um, is he a top 24 catcher? I mean, he might be now just because his playing time is more assured. Uh, but he is, he, uh, even when he was a top prospect, I didn't like the profile that much. I think it's a lot more tools than skills, and it hasn't transformed so far in the majors. Uh, powers what he, the best thing he brings to the table, and that's going to be hurt, obviously, by the, the venue change. 24, I think, is fair, but I don't. I'm not excited to draft him. His average home run distance last year was 420 feet, though. Uh, the raw power plays anywhere. It for me the biggest thing is strikeouts. He just he struck out thirty seven percent of the time. There's a chance he's just Mike Zunino. That's Jorge Alfaro. Zunino has been a usable, not just usable, yeah. but startable roto catcher in the past. And yeah, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the best comparison. And then last question on this subject: Sixto Sanchez. When when might we see him? He is a five foot ten righty who throws about a hundred miles per hour. See, I really like prospects, and I'm not generally in favor of teams giving up their best prospects. Sixto Sanchez clearly was the Phillies' best prospect, but he, there's like he's so far away. I feel like because they have they have handled him so gingerly. I disagree, though. It's okay. a, there's a big organizational difference between the, how the Phillies handle their prospects typically and how the Marlins handle their top prospects. The Phillies going back to Ryan Howard and Chase Utley and Jason Worth, those guys were debuting at 24, 25, 26. They tend to take their sweet time with their top prospects. Their guys are going to spend a full season in AAA almost entirely. The Marlins called up Jose Fernandez when he had only pitched an A ball. The Marlins tend to have a philosophy, especially with pitchers. Marcelo Zuna actually debuted from A ball, I believe. So they're basically going to say, we'll call you up when you make us force you to. And I've seen that talent comparison, actually, Sanchez to Jose Fernandez. I Just the issue with Sanchez, he, he pitched 46 and two-thirds yeah. innings last year and hasn't even hit 100 in a minor league season yet. So I feel like he needs two seasons just in term, just for innings accumulation. I could be wrong about that. All right. He's also like 80 pounds lighter than Jose Fernandez was. Sounds like my profile. Um better fastball. Kansas City officially signed Brad Boxberger. The Brewers signed Josh Tomlin to a minor league deal. The Rangers signed Hunter Pence to a minor league deal. The Mets signed Devin Mezzarocco to a minor league deal. The the disabled list is now the injured list. The injured list. And Zach Britton is now Zach Britton. He is Z-A-C-K Britton, not Z-A-C-H Britton. And I like that. I appreciate that. Should be with a So my, my brother's name is also Zach. I don't know how to spell it. It started out Z-A-C-K. It changed to Z-A-C-H at some point. It sound, and I, I'm not sure where it stands it right now. It sounds like it's kind of a, like Ulysses S. Grant, you know, the, the former president. I know there's who no he is. In his, there's no S in his name. It was just like a typo. Oh, really? It sounds like that's what happened with Britain. Because his like, <laughs> legal name is Z-A-C-K, right? Yeah. Which is, which is clear. I mean, my brother's legal name is Zachary, so you can kind yeah. of just go and he, you know. But, yeah, his legal name is Z-A-C-K, and it just, why has he been... 
Z-A-C-H for such a long time. <laughs> that is That's weird. That is very strange. All right, so here's what we're doing today. We have a segment called Risky or Reliable or Both with an exclamation point and a question mark. So I'll ask you about some players. You tell me if they're risky or reliable or both. My segments are usually self-explanatory. I explain them anyway. And we got a ton of emails, fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. It's a mailbag Friday. And also, if you go on our website, we have a great uh, series by the brilliant Chris Towers. Um, whoa, whoa. Just a quick sort of pro and con for all of the top 100 players. Hey, Scott, no, this is the top 300. Yeah, this was a oh, combined effort, Heath, Chris, I, and I. I wrote the top 100, and then we split the other, the rest of the top 200. I, Scott did like 100, right? 90? 90, yeah. So, oh, okay. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, it's, you know, I, I like to think of it as the, it, when you're in the middle of the draft, you got the angel on one shoulder whispering one thing and the <laughs> devil on another whispering the other thing. And, you know, it, it, it may lead to some paralysis by analysis. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting making a case for and against players who you may like or dislike. And that's the that's the whole thing. We made the case for drafting and the case against drafting each of the top three hundred players. Yeah, it's um, cool. I think it's a useful hur- heuristic. You have to you have to force yourself to look at the downside of guys you like and the upside of guys you don't like too. Yeah, and it it kind of changed my opinion on some players, most notably Robinson Cano. I, I had a much harder time coming up with reasons to dislike Cano than I thought I would. Uh, and and meanwhile, there's a lot to like. And that's the reason why it's the reason why I don't like David Price now. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about him, and then I started looking into it. I'm like, well, this guy's kind of stinky. <laughs> and today, when I was looking into Ken Giles, I realized that he has not blown. He did not blow one save last year, uh, which Ed, is yeah, that was an amazing, yeah, uh, amazing job of threading the needle for him. <laughs> um, by the way, Chris, I I think you meant Harry Truman, right? With the S, no. isn't it? Ulysses Harry, Simpson Grant? No, it's no, his Hiram name. Ulysses Grant. That's really? his name. It's one of the okay. the famous. Uh, Underknown facts. I've I've I read a Ulysses Grant okay, biography. No, okay, fair enough. Harry, I, I think Harry Truman doesn't have a middle name. Is the story there? Mm-hmm. But it's also S that he gets. Yeah, at Harry S. Truman. Yeah. yeah. Okay. My dad doesn't have a middle name. Cool story. Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you his. Biography. My mom doesn't have a middle name. <laughs> hey, how about that? All right, risky or reliable or both? Chris Sale, risky, reliable, or both? Both. He's going to be awesome when he's on the mound, but you know, last year during the middle of the season, he was throwing harder than we'd ever seen him. He was pitching like uh, in his prime, Randy Johnson, throw, you know, regularly throwing 100 miles an hour, something he had never done. And then he gets hurt, comes back, and he's throwing like 91. Yeah, yeah, scary, very. But he was still good. He was. His postseason starts were okay, uh, five and a third, five hits, two runs. Two walks, eight strikeouts against the Yankees. Four innings, two runs, five strikeouts against the Astros. Just, he's not, in the postseason, he didn't go, Yeah, you know. He must have had more postseason starts than that, right? I'm selling him short. But um, he wasn't quite himself. So is, is, is Chris Sale too risky to be the second pitcher off the board? No. Okay. Next up, Joey Gallo. Uh, risky, reliable, or both? Both. Both. He's reliably going to hit 38 to 45 home runs, and he's risky because he might completely tank your batting average. Mm-hmm. But I have more hope than ever this year that he won't. 
It's just he can't keep putting up 250 BABIPs. It's just I don't care how often he gets shifted. I don't care. Like, it's not possible. He started hitting the ball the other way last year. Right. Started – he lowered his fly ball rate in the second half, which is actually good for him. I mean, he doesn't need to have – to generate a lot of power. He doesn't need to hit – have an outlier fly ball rate. Um, And it – you know, his second half, BABIP was – much higher. I mean, I mean, the upside is probably like 240, yeah. but but that for for his power production, you'd take that. Just want to tell you where Joey Gallo finished at first base and outfield last year. He was the number 14 first baseman in points, number 10 in roto, number 34 outfielder in points, number 25 in roto. Played 148 games, and I missed one postseason start for Chris Sale. It was a bad one. It was four innings, three runs against the Dodgers. His other two appearances were in relief. All right, risky, reliable, or both for Whit Merrifield. Reliable. Reliable. But let me tell you this. Okay. Okay, it's early. It's February 8th. I looked at roster resource this morning, and they they project him hit third. Okay. That that team is – they're just going to – like. there's no way you go out and get Billy Hamilton. You're starting out Alberto Mondesi. You go out and get Gerard Dyson. Uh yeah, no, they're they're going old time. school manufacturing of runs. Yeah, but I, but I don't think it matters where he bats. It, okay, but it has. That's the only thing. I I looked up the last two years. He's he's kind of got the Acuna thing going. So I I could give the numbers in 2017. I will. 115 games batting leadoff. He stole 28 bases. He stole eight bases in 30 games batting fifth through ninth in the order. 2018, 39 bases he stole in 112 games batting leadoff and six steals in 46 other games, including he barely ran when he was batting second. So just wanted to bring that up. If you think it matters, Whit Merrifield might not bat leadoff. Whit Merrifield also just didn't run very often early in the season. He had, looks like, 16 steals through June, and then they just let him run. I would assume that a lot of that is just timing. All right. And... In the first season, eight steals in thirty games. That's a that's a forty steal pace. Uh, yeah. So not not concerned. You're saying? Nope. All right. He's safe. He's reliable with Merrifield. Mm-hmm. Hey, Eugenio Suarez. He's trying to make the noise Chris just made. I don't know what that what, what that was. <laughs> I've never made a noise in my life. All right, Eugenio Suarez. Last year was the number seven third baseman in points, number six in roto. He's 27 years old, is he risky, reliable, or both? Risky. It. Oh. Where are you drafting him? Are you drafting him to do what he did last year? Then he's risky. Yeah, that's, that's fair. I mean, I don't think the downside is particularly low, but I would bet he's a little worse than last year. He had the second highest hard contact rate in baseball uh, among qualified hitters. Tied with David Peralta, who we have an email about later. Eugenio Suarez batted 283 with 34 home runs. He drove in 104 runs. He only scored 79 runs. Mm-hmm. I guess when I was kind of going through the batted ball data, the hard contact rate was was great. Um, but he's not a big fly ball hitter, so he had a you know 23.4% home run to fly ball ratio, and it's pretty much all he does. He, he doesn't run. He doesn't double. He's not like a great walks guy. He has a high BABIP batting profile, I would say. And he had a 322 BABIP last year. I don't, I, I wouldn't say that's unsustainable. He's been over 300 basically every year in the majors. Uh, but yeah, the, the home run production might have been a little inflated last year, which 
also helps batting average. So it, I could see how that his numbers could drop off a little. Yeah, he, it's just he's a guy coming off a career high in basically everything. You should yeah. expect some regression. All right, so would you rather have Eugenio Suarez or would you wait like five rounds and take Rafael Devers? Oh, Suarez. Yeah. Would you rather Devers, have... Devers is just a, you know, a Hail Mary, which you know I, I still think he has a good career coming, but there's no evidence that he's on the verge of a breakthrough based on what he did last year. Would you rather have Suarez or Travis Shaw? Suarez. Okay. Uh, let's do some pitchers. Mike Clevenger, risky, reliable, or both? I st- a little it, bit kinda, risky. Yeah, kind of what I was saying about Suarez, where I don't think it could go that wrong for him, but I also feel like we've probably already seen his best case scenario. I, what is it that makes Mike Clevenger good? It's like he doesn't throw particularly hard, although his his velocity went up last year to about 94, 95 miles per hour. So he throws hard, but he's not like a you know a blazing fastball guy. His swinging strike rate is fine. Um, he's not a huge ground ball pitcher, right? I, I don't know no. how it's he's more been... than fine. Swinging strike rate, he's twelve percent top twenty. It's, yeah, it's kind of a the sum is greater than the parts thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that does make me nervous is last year the control really improved. He started inducing. It wasn't really even the control improving so much as it was just he started inducing a lot more swings. He threw in the zone a little bit more often, but it was mostly just he induced a lot more swings. That makes me a little nervous just because he's had such mediocre to bad control for most of his career. Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, any regression there could, um, you know, could send him back down to, like, I I think a high three ZRA is more likely than not for him. So he was 17th in swinging strike rate really? last year, right in between Corey Kluber and Nick Pavetta, who we have been hyping for his ability to miss bats. All right, so, so I guess I, I just have to recalibrate what I think is a good swinging strike rate because it was 12%, so I guess that's very good. Okay, then. Good to know. Thank you. Uh, that's Clevenger. How about Mike Fultonevich? Risky, reliable, or both? Super risky. Yep. He is on my bus list, and it makes me sad, but I just – I don't – <laughs> I, I I don't really see the path to the numbers he delivered last year because he still has control issues. He had a great strikeout rate, but with a very suspect swinging strike. Yes, rate. that one I knew. That one I yeah. knew. <laughs> um, you know, I I had been promoting him as a guy who's a changeup away. He didn't develop that changeup last <laughs> year, so he still struggles against left-handed hitters. I think he had. Uh, BABIP luck, home run luck, uh, a lot of factors contributing to that low ERA. And, um, well, I, I think he's still going to be somebody who's rostered in mixed leagues all season. I don't think he's going to be on the fringes of the Cy Young race again. Hell of a year for Fultonevich. 285 ERA, uh, 108 whip, and 202 strikeouts in 183 innings. But, yeah, that, my first thought was, like, I'm not drafting him. We'll see where he goes. When, when's the earliest you would draft Mike Fultonevich? Uh, maybe like round 12 in a 12-team league. Yeah, that I, that sounds right. He's someone that I never really feel like drafting, but I could see him pulling a a 380 RA with more than a strikeout per inning. He's not terrible. Okay. Ken Giles. 
case you haven't heard, he didn't blow a save last year. And he's the closer for the Blue Jays right now. And I think they'd probably use him as a conventional closer, more so than a lot of teams you know, are using their bullpen guys. Uh, is Ken Giles risky, reliable, or both? You can't actually, actually be asking that question of us, right? Why? How are we going to answer it? How are we going to know? Like, there, It's not a physical thing. He throws really hard. He gets a lot of swinging strikes. He's got multiple. His slider is a really good secondary pitch. It's the 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 peripherals have never been bad. You know, last year he had a 308 FIP. The year he had a 411 ERA. He had a 286 FIP. He just melts down sometimes, and it's when he's not saving games. Yeah. It, <laughs> It's they were high leverage situations though. Yeah, like it's it's just a a lot of them were. Not it, all. it seems to be a mental block, and I I don't know how we can possibly answer whether he's going to get over that. Mm. Well, he also was great in 2017. Right, he's been great two out of his four years. And one of them was like a partial season, but he was really really good then. I think he just needs a punch in the face, snap him out of it. <laughs> yeah, that didn't work last year. <laughs> uh, got him traded. Uh, well, it's funny because he, Ken Giles will begin the year as the closer, right? Yeah. So he's reliable in that sense, but he's obviously risky. I do think, uh, that as we've been doing these drafts and, you know, we had an AL only draft, we had a roto draft, both within the last like week and a half, and in both situ- situations, saves are, are very scarce. So I, I kind of like the value that Giles was presenting and I kind of wanted him. I don't yeah. think I got him. I mean, You're- he was a, he was a, Fine, high leverage option for the Phillies, like yeah. a Phillies team. With like, I think maybe moving to a Blue Jays team with no expectations, um, it, it could be what he needs to get back on track. It's just, you and know, you know, one thing it, I wonder is like, we talk so much about the Astros' ability to get the most out of their pitchers, but that also would seemingly require a lot of micromanaging on the part of the coaching staff and the analytics team. Maybe some guys just don't take well to that. Last guy. Is Jonathan VR risky, reliable, or both? Jonathan VR. I think he's very risky. If he wasn't risky, he would probably be somebody who goes in the first five rounds of roto drafts because of the, the steals potential <laughs> and be, some power potential. He'd I mean, be at Alberto Mondesi. Uh, I, I think the upside's a little lower, but yeah, it'd be, it'd be, uh, it'd be similar. Uh, the biggest risk with him, I think, is just that uh, kind of what happened with the Brewers two years ago. He's not, he doesn't set the world on fire right out of the gate, so they turn to somebody else. I mean, he's not a building block for that rebuilding team. He's just kind of a space hole filler. For and, who, though? Uh, Do they have anyone to replace him with? Yeah, that's not right like, now. Not right now. Who from like John Hopkins' baseball team are they going to call <laughs> up to play shortstop? I, I don't know exactly who would replace him, but. Somebody has an interesting year at AAA who's not on our radar right now. Um, I it it just or 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 he gets traded, right? Because okay, well it's not working out here. This other team likes you as a utility guy. Here you go, and then he's not playing that regularly anymore. Yeah, that's Jonathan VR. Could be a good steal source. Was was pretty good with uh, with Baltimore. 
after the trade. And, you know, Chris, it's Johns Hopkins. Take that. I, I also had to Google to make sure it was in Baltimore. It is. Okay. It is. Yeah. You take that S from Ulysses S. Grant. You put it on the end of John Hopkins. <laughs> that's and that's you get where the, uh, the confusion came in. Emails part one at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. And then we'll look at the first 10 picks and give quick pros and cons. And uh, then some more emails, hopefully, to end the show. And we'll be right back after this. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, our first email is from Jack in L.A. I haven't heard anything at all about David Peralta this offseason. He's ranked in and around the top 100 in all the rankings I've seen, and Peralta had a big breakout last season. He's in a worse lineup now, in a lesser hitter's park, and not in the best offensive division. Where should David Peralta be drafted? Why and over who? (laughs) This guy just exposed himself as somebody who did not read my busts column. Because if he had, he would have heard about David Peralta. Uh, I, I actually don't... Now that we're getting some ADP data, I, I actually don't think it's such a risky place to take Peralta, but I don't. It, it's asking a lot for him to repeat last year's numbers because it was this unprecedented hard contact rate that caused him to double his home run output. Uh, a clear outlier for a guy who's in his 30s. I, I just wouldn't expect that to happen again. Also, huge splits concerns for him. Mm-hmm. Big time. Still did not hit lefties well. And I, just to talk broadly, with Suarez, who at least has done it for longer than Peralta, um, you know, we talked last year about the, the sophomore slump and, and one-hit wonders. I don't know that we're going to do specific episodes about that this year. Probably overkill at this point. Uh, I think what we decided was, you know, the, the players that have the best chance of not just falling off from what they did last year are the ones that do a lot of things or do more than just one thing. And Peralta, he stole four bases, um, 48 walks in 146 games, 25 doubles, not very good, although five triples is good. Basically, if the home runs aren't there, you're going to be pretty disappointed. And I kind of, I mean, I feel the same way about Eugenio Suarez. Although he's going to hit for average, I think even if the home runs aren't there, Peralta but, will be two eighty five to two ninety five. Yeah, but but still, he's not going to give you much run production. He's not going to steal bases, and he's an outfielder. So I guess I'm just saying, like, he doesn't have that much to fall back on. Yeah, and I just think generally when you're talking about these guys who have this big one year breakout, even if it's backed up by 
really good batted ball data. You know, I, I'll use the the same examples from 2017: Justin Smoke, Yonder Alonso, and Justin Bohr. Smoke didn't keep it up, but he wasn't terrible. Yonder Alonso was okay-ish, and Justin Bohr was just kind of bad. So, I think that shows you like. There are certainly breakouts who sustain it, but I would guess it's about 50-50 with these kind of guys. Does it matter to you that Peralta had a 312, 371, 522 slash line in 2015? He was strictly a platoon player, right? That was like 85 games or something? He played, no. He was 149 games in 2015. He he had a really good year. Mm -hmm. Um, He had 10 triples that year. Only 17 home runs, 26 doubles. That was his career high prior to last year was 17 home runs. Right. That, that's, I mean, that's, he, uh, he doesn't, he has a low fly ball rate, which is part of why he's been a consistent source of batting average, but it's also partly why it seems crazy he could be a 30 homer guy again. Yeah. All right, cool. Um, moving on to our next email. Alex from Rapid City, San Diego. Sounds like Jung Ho Gong is going to, be, going to be pushing Colin Moran for playing time in Pittsburgh. Do you think Jung Ho Gong is worth a late round flyer for some added power? I ha- do not rank Jung Ho Gong. Uh, it would probably take him making some headlines this spring for me to rank him. So I guess no is the answer there. Okay, next email, Kevin in L.A. Dear Carl, A.J., Kevin, and Jarrett, with a T, Jarrett. Obviously the Backstreet Boys. I think this is... Is it? Is no. this a Yankee starting rotation? Pavano, Pavano Burnett, yeah. Brown, Jarrett, and Jarrett right. right? I think so. Wow, oh, yeah, go. yeah, yeah, because the question's about James Paxton. So mm. these are like free agent Yankees additions, I guess. I've noticed <laughs> who, that... Who didn't work out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've noticed that the major projections all have Paxton's ERA at 354 or lower this season, but his best single-season ERA away from Safeco in the last four years is 366 in 2017, and that year he only had two starts in hitter's parks. Now Paxton will probably pitch 70% of his starts in hitter's parks. What do you think the projection system thinks, uh, or why do you think the projection systems think a 30-year-old injury-plagued pitcher will suddenly pitch better than ever before outside of Seattle? Is this like Rockies hitters improving their road numbers after leaving cores? I think partially it's that. Hitter, pitchers, players in general tend to perform better at home regardless of the environment. You know, Rio Muto and, and Yelich and guys who play in extreme pitchers parks are kind of the, the outliers there. Um, but also James Paxton's really, really good. He is. Three, three straight years, his ERA has been higher than his FIP, which is enough of a pattern that maybe you could say there's something to that. But, you know, the actual number of innings he's pitched over those three years isn't, isn't like a Chris Archer-like sample. Yeah. You know, so I, I still think it's, and there's it's not fair like, to assess him on the FIP than the ERA. There's not like an obvious skill that he seems to be missing. Like one year, he had a really low strand rate. The other year, he had a really high home run to fly ball rate. It's sort of been different issues every year. And I think the good news is the Orioles stink, so you can forget about that pitcher's park being or hitter's park being a concern. And then, you know, the Blue Jays, they're going to stink, right? They're not going to have a good lineup. Yeah, yeah they could not be, as bad as the Orioles. They maybe. could be really good in the second half, though. They once they be? start calling guys up like and if Vlad Guerrero joins Guerrero. Yeah, and maybe Biggio and just like they're going to have an infusion of young talent. Um, they could be feisty in the second half, like the 
like the 2017 athletics were. All right, from Matt, dear Lonzo, Brandon, Kyle, and any of LeBron's former teammates. Okay. Eddie House. Eddie House. Uh, Heath and Scott's auction values are going to be substantially lower than the Wild West of an auction for high-end players. How do you approach those drafts without missing out? Well, I I think the fact you know your league's auctions play out that way is a, is a good starting point because everyone is a little different. I, I've been in a lot of industry auction auctions where you know the top players go for the mid 40s. I've been in ones, um, particularly non-industry leagues, where they go for over 60. So it, 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 there's a huge range there that's going to influence the rest of the auction. I think the important thing to keep in mind, and we make a lot of effort to ensure this happens, is uh, the math for the auction values comes out perfectly, meaning exactly $260 has been divided between exactly 12 teams worth of players, 276 in a standard auction league, uh, Roto League, um, and uh, all the positions uh, are distributed equally. So, so that if you're in an auction and you see guys going for way too much, that's going to tell you there's going to be a lot of discounts later because mm-hmm. there's going to be yeah. fewer dollars on the table than we've projected for. And there's always like one elite first round player who gets nominated like 22nd overall and it's usually Nolan Arenado in the leagues that we do and he'll always go for like $12 less than the really high guys so also keep in mind that if you don't get one of those high guys if you're not willing to spend on the really really high guys someone's going to be a bargain and you want if you're not going to go for the $55 $60 guys you want to be the guy who has the money to go out and win the last one or two elite guys. Okay. And uh, this email didn't age all that well because Lonzo, Brandon, and Kyle are all still on the Lakers, right? I don't know. You tell me, Adam. They are. <laughs> You're the NBA guy. I was just, I was testing you. I just wanted to see if you know. Love the Knicks trades. They love, did lose a Vitsa Zubac. So. Okay. Tough, tough look for my guy, Ivica. Here's uh, Kellis Booth of Columbia, Kentucky. Could you list some resources for who to look for and what to do in the mid to late rounds, say in the 170-pick ballpark? Uh, I don't want to reach for prospects, but the names in ADP for that range are not very <laughs> interesting. Uh, Scott and Heath sleeper columns. Our breakdowns of the... 170 to 300 range to find guys who you you buy the argument for why they're better than their ranking and uh you know look for upside 170 i'm trying to think of who i take there i think i take luke voigt i think i've gotten luke voigt in every one of um our mock drafts so far and he's in my sleepers column which chris mentioned but i think it's a little after this range uh this range this range I'm drafting, I feel like I'm getting my second and third closer in this range. Um, there should be some pretty good pitchers. I'm looking at fantasy yeah. pros. Tyler Glass now, Andrew Heaney, Nick Pavetta are Probably all going pitchers in this range. More than hitters. That's where you're looking for like pitchers who have not been good but have a lot of upside. And, you know, I didn't realize actually Haney had like a four ERA last season. He pitched so much better than that. Yeah. Yeah, he. I, I don't. I can't decide who I like better between him and Skaggs. I'm pretty sure I like Skaggs. How about you guys, Heaney or Skaggs? 
I go back and forth too, to be <laughs> honest. I I think if you buy the argument that that groin injury that put him on the DL twice at the end of last season is what ruins Gags, and he had a sub three ERA before that. If you buy that argument, then he's better. I think pretty clearly, but I mean, Heaney's skills probably look a little better. Okay. I don't care about Chris. This is from John. Our shortstop and third base, the only two good offensive positions. <laughs> Chris, uh, Chris showed me how he feels about that. Our shortstop and third base, the only two good offensive positions for fantasy baseball this season. As I listen to each of your shows, I'm noticing a common theme. Catcher is awful. First base is awful. Second base is awful. And now Adam is pointing out that out- outfield is pretty bad as well. Am I overstating <laughs> things or are shortstop and third base the only good offensive positions? Shortstop has so much high-end talent. Like the f- six elite players probably and then another five who are, you know, either have the potential to join the elite group or are really really good themselves. It is it is kind of stunning. Mhm. Um, and and third base is deep throughout. Yeah. I mean, you in a deeper league, shortstop the depth depth could run out at some point, but third base has layers and layers and layers. Um I would argue First base starts to look deeper the deeper the format is as well. So it, it kind of changes depending on that. But sticking to a standard twelve team league, uh, I think that's a I think that's pretty fair a pretty fair assessment. It's it's partly why I don't consider outfield to be that shallow. It's lacking in high end players, but there's a lot of worthy starters there. I also think starting pitcher uh, it's still top heavy, but it might be deeper than it's been the past couple of years. It seems to, it seems like there's tiers of arms again when the last couple of years it was basically just the studs and the duds. Um, and the one thing I would say is if you're in a roto league, the one thing to keep in mind about second base and outfield in particular is there might not be those like elite points leagues guys who stand out because they just rack up counting stats, but you'll get speed guys, you'll get, uh, you know, specialists in Roto who can make up for the seeming lack of depth. So I have more emails that I think we're going to try to read in a little bit, but let's see if we can spend about 10 minutes talking about 10 players. So we'll just go, we'll start one through 10 and you guys can give me pros and cons to drafting these guys. I know Chris, you wrote one, one through 100. So you wrote the, the story on all these guys, but I'm sure Scott can obviously talk about them. So how do you want to do this? You want to manage? Yeah. Do you want to maybe Chris pro Scott con? I think Scott should be pro. I want to play the devil's advocate. All right. Yeah. Wow. That's probably a better, better role for Chris, who I feel like just tries to deflate every argument I make about every player anyway. (laughs) I disagree. Well, Scott, we'll give you the layup to start. Uh, the, the pros for taking Mike Trout, number one. I mean, he's he's not always number one, but he's always in the mix to be number one. His per-game production is always one of the standouts in baseball. There is just nothing that can go wrong taking Mike Trout. And if you, as rare as it is to come away with the number one pick, if you don't use it on Mike Trout, you are and moron. Um, I, I think not celebrating all fantasy baseball is properly. Chris, be a jerk about Mike Trout. Uh, he's missed 70 games over the last two seasons. And if you took Mookie Betts ahead of him in two of the last three years, you would not have been a jerk moron or whatever it was we were <laughs> trying to 
malign our good listeners and our good friend Heath Cummings uh, <laughs> by saying. Okay, that works. It, it kills you a little to make that argument. <laughs> oh, I don't believe it at all. <laughs> uh, all right, Mookie Betts, Scott. The pros for Mookie Betts. He is the closest thing to Mike Trout <laughs> next to Mike Trout. He he might be nearing Mike Trout in terms of reliability. Like Chris said, two of the past three years, he's been right there in terms of production. Um, he's the 1A to Mike Trout's 1. Chris, why shouldn't we take Mookie Betts second? He's he's the 1A to Mike Trout's 1 unless he's 17th, which is what he did in 2017 despite playing 152 games. Now, that's not terrible, obviously, but unlike Mike Trout, we have seen a downside for Mookie Betts. And, you know, this came in the midst of his breakout. This came in the midst of his peak. So unlike Jose Ramirez, who we haven't seen a downside for yet since he's reached his peak two years ago. I love I'm going to I can't wait to hear the argument against Jose Ramirez. <laughs> he's kind of destroyed it already. Uh, are we done? OK. Yeah. Jose Ramirez, number three. So he was basically he, he came very close to having a 40 40 season last year. Um, which is just insane considering where he was two years ago where we didn't think his 11 homer 22 steal season was going to be sustainable. But the most amazing part about what Jose Ramirez did is he did it with bad Babbitt luck, like as much contact as he makes. And really throughout his entire career, he's been a good source of batting average. He hit only 270 last year. So I, I, I mean, I'm not I'm not necessarily betting on him repeating last year's home run and steals total, but when you factor in the batting average correction too, I mean, he's he's the clear number three for me. Chris, it's been outlier on top of outlier for Jose Ramirez. He's never played at an elite level for more than one year. Two years ago, he was pretty good, but last year was his first time really performing as a top five player, and he'd never done it before. I think he was top five two years ago, actually. Just nobody believed it. <laughs> <laughs> and also, you know, he stole what thirty-four bases last year. He was fifty. He was in the fifty-second percentile in average sprint speed uh, among all players last season, among all hitters last season. That doesn't scream elite speed to me. And you know, with the Indians' offense looking worse than it has in the last couple of years, they could be more judicious in how they risk their outs. Do you think that it's defensible to take anybody else other than Ramirez third? Are you asking serious Chris yeah, or devil's like, advocate? No, Chris? it's serious Chris. No, probably not. Okay. Then let's go to fourth. Francisco Lindor, Scott White. So Francisco Lindor added speed that we long thought he had last year, and he validated his power breakthrough from two years ago, which I think a lot of us were suspicious of. So uh, I don't think there's much concern of a drop-off anymore. And uh, those power speed guys pretty much all go in the first round. Uh, I, I think Lindor has to be among them. Chris, why shouldn't we take Lindor there? Honestly, this is probably the toughest one to come up with an argument against because I think he represents the last of the uh, top tier. But the biggest thing is he the 38 homers and 25 steals were unprecedented for him at the major league level. And like we said, with guys like Eugenio Suarez or David Peralta, anytime you see someone doing the best thing they've ever done, 
you should probably expect some regression to the mean. Uh, well, I, I could make a pretty good case against Lindor. Now, Chris writes in his write-up that he's been Lindor has been a 273 and 277 hitter the last two years, but some of the advanced stats suggest he should be more like a 300 hitter. Uh, here's my case against him. Um, Altuve's going to have a much better batting. Uh, bet, the best Altuve will have a much better batting average and probably more steals. So if you treat batting average as a scarce position, then I don't know that Lindor deserves to go fourth when he's 275. It is easier to make a case for someone else going ahead of Lindor than it is for than it is to make a case against Lindor in a vacuum. That's yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. All right, Chris has Nolan Arenado five. Scott, the case for Nolan Arenado. The case for Nolan Arenado is that he's a perennial triple crown threat. Uh, he has led the NL in home runs three of the past four years, led it in RBI twice, has had 130-plus RBI three times during that stretch, and he makes a crap load of contact for somebody with that kind of power. So the, he is he is the safest uh, of probably any first-rounder to repeat his production, and we know it's elite. Chris? Are we sure Charlie Blackman's good? outside of cores or i guess are we sure charlie blackman is great outside of cores i know he's working on extension with the rockies you're talking about arenado nolan nolan arenado yes okay sorry um but the same point stands are we sure (laughs) nolan arenado is great outside of the context that he plays in he's working on an extension with the rockies but if they don't come to an agreement before the season and all of a sudden the rockies get off to a a 19 and 30 start and they're they're sliding by midseason. You know, what if he gets traded somewhere else that's not nearly as good of an offensive environment? This is a guy with a I believe a sub 800 OPS for his career uh outside of course. He can be good, but like I said yesterday, I think he's probably Matt Chapman outside of course. And he steals at most 3 bases Zero. a year. Yeah. So, that's obviously a mark against him. Okay, number six on the list here is Jose Altuve. Scott, make the case for Altuve. Altuve hit about 340 with, um, I don't know, the first three months of the season, he was basically normal Altuve. And then the last three months of the season, he was some weird guy who we've never seen before. He was playing with a fractured kneecap, which I think explains everything. And the previous two seasons, 2017, 2016, he was right there with Trout and Betts. He would have been the 1B in that group. And he plays the scarcest position among the positions I actually count as positions. Not catcher. (laughs) Chris? So the two times that he's been a top five hitter, he's done it in two different ways. He was a minimal contributor in home runs, runs, and RBI in 2014 but he stole 56 bases and hit 341. 2016 and 17, so there were three seasons, sorry. Uh, he, was a, <laughs> he was a real five-category guy going 30-30, 200 combined runs in RBI. If the skill set has declined, and he wasn't playing like a top-five hitter before uh, the injury last year, what if he's a 20-home steal guy? What if he's an 18-home run guy? What if he's a 315 hitter? You know, you need a lot to go right for a guy who may not necessarily have elite stolen base potential or elite home run potential. Yeah, I did want to point that out. Before the All-Star break, 
he was batting 332, but only nine home runs, 14 steals in 99 games. That's an 864 OPS. The previous two years, it was 928 and 957. So he wasn't quite himself, and yeah, yeah not steals quite. In but the games. batted ball data was the same, and I, there, we we weren't concerned until oh. things went wrong. I, I would also add, and I know I'm arguing against fake Chris, but he's Altuve is one of those players who does so many things well that even if he only gives us 75 percent of his home run upside, he may not justify the sixth overall pick, but he'll probably still justify a first-round pick. All right, Max Scherzer's next at number seven. Max Scherzer, number one pitcher in fantasy last year. Scott, the case for Scherzer. He has become the, I think, the obvious choice to go number one at starting pitchers. The safest in terms of both how, how much he pitches, how many innings he pitches, and how dominant those innings are. Um. Yeah, I mean, now that Kershaw's not in that discussion anymore, there, there's really no comparison to what Scherzer has consistently done now, I think six years in a row. Pitchers are healthy and dependable right up to the point where they stop being that. Just ask Clayton Kershaw, just ask Felix Hernandez, two of the best pitchers of the last two decades, right up until the point where they just weren't anymore. Max Scherzer is a 34-year-old starting pitcher. Every season, 130 or 138 starting pitchers hit the DL last season. How off? How much longer can we expect him to keep outrunning the odds? Okay, number eight is JD Martinez. So JD was amazing last year. Uh, we have him eighth on this list. Scott, the case for JD Martinez. The case for JD Martinez is that he was amazing last year. Like you said, I, he. He had uh, a year between the Tigers and Diamondbacks where it seemed like everything that could go right did. And so I think there was, it was fair to be skeptical of it coming into last season. Uh, but then he completely validated those numbers and actually uh, came into a new skill of staying on the field by playing DH more often than he ever had before. So he seems super safe. He's a soon-to-be 32-year-old who has played more than 120 games once since 2015. He's played more than 150 games twice. Maybe it was a skill that he stayed healthy. Or maybe it was just luck. Another guy who's not going to give you steals as a first-round pick. He had six last year. All right, that's J.D. Martinez, who was the number five overall hitter in fantasy. Trey Turner, he will give you steals. Scott, uh, make the case for Trey Turner ninth. So it's it's rare in 2019 especially to find an elite steal source who doesn't sink you in everything else, or at least most everything else. And Trey Turner is at least average at everything, Um elite in terms of steals you know it wasn't quite what we expected last year but he still led the nl was one of three players with more than 40 and uh he's elite in terms of scoring runs too with at least a decent batting average and some home runs so he's uh i think especially in rotisserie leagues it's hard to make an argument against oh is that need in the first is it that hard uh chris towers to how many (laughs) how many above average hitters do we think are in the nationals lineup outside of Trey Turner. Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon, and gigantic question mark. If Bryce Harper doesn't come back, 
they're going to need a lot out of the top of their lineup. And that might not come in the form of Trey Turner batting leadoff and stealing 40 bases. It might come in the form of him batting second or even third to try to produce more runs, especially if Victor Robles shows early on that he's capable of being a contributor. And if he bats lower in the order, he will steal fewer bases. Yeah, I mean, if he if he steals 25 bases and hits 17 home runs and hits 270, that's like a healthy, worse A.J. Pollock. And as Chris mentions in the write-up, you can get Whit Merrifield at least two rounds later. Right. Bryce Harper is 10. Scott, the case for Bryce Harper. I, this, is a, this is a tough one. It's always tough to know when to take Bryce Harper. He's such uh, an enigma at times. Yeah. Uh, case for Harper in the top 10. And his fantasy pros ADP is only 17. Not that I'm trying to make the argument against him, but yeah. That's Chris's um, job. So the argument for Bryce Harper is that outside of Trout and Betts, he probably has the most upside of any hitter in baseball. Um, he Injuries have been such a derailer for him over the past few years uh, that it's it's really compromised his production, but during the stretches he's been healthy, he still looked like that guy, like clear first-round MVP caliber player. Uh, I think the patience-power combo is so enticing that um, it's hard to pass him up late in round one when all the players are looking riskier. Chris Towers? He's... Kind of just Justin Turner with like eight more stolen bases, right? I mean, you look at, he's had two really good seasons, but he's also missed more than 50 games, I think, in three of his seven seasons. Um, and the Babbitt luck from last season might not have just been a fluke. He's, his strikeout rate spiked to the highest it's been, I think, ever, if not since his rookie season. And you know, you look at the the rates of shifting around the league and what they've done to left-handed hitters. Uh, going by baseball savants' expected stats, he should have hit 254 instead of 253. Congratulations. I don't know why Harper gets drafted over Aaron Judge. They both, to me, are much better in OBP leagues. And, and you know, Harper's OBP in, over his last four seasons, he has averaged uh, 410 OBP. Like, But his batting average... He's had two great years and two terrible years. So I mean, I, I when when Harper's been right in 2017 and 2015, he's he's been a contender for the batting title too. That's that's the biggest difference. Yeah, yeah. Come right. on, Adam. Can't you see the upside? Oh, Why are you trying oh, yeah. to make a case against him? <laughs> tenth seems a little early to me. I, if I had the tenth pick and I in a 12 team league, I'd be really pumped to get Harper with my second pick. Um, but it doesn't seem that early. It's it's totally justifiable. All right, that's uh, that's your top ten. We'll try to do ten of these every show, at least until we start the position previews, which will be coming up pretty soon. We're just about out of time, so let me read a few more emails. Jack wants to know, he's a first-time fantasy baseball player. What should he do? What strategy can you give a total noob? <laughs> Gosh. You should listen to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast and follow all of the advice from the top-tier team of fantasy analysts at cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. I mean, that really is a good starting point, immersing yourself in conversation, uh, fast-paced conversation in, in kind of a, a way that can be um, passive, passively listened to. is really, really useful resource. Adam's going to be mad at you for saying it's fast-paced because he's always trying to speed us up. <laughs> um, it is fast-paced. Uh, here's a keeper question. 
I, I was going to offer more. Oh, that was kind yeah, of just finish it with that, Scott. Finish it okay, with that. Fair enough. No, no, no. Like, go oh, your final okay. thought. I would look into my tiers. I think that's a perfect approach for a beginner. Uh, there's I have tiers by position. The top of each article explains the approach where you're targeting. Um, you're 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 choosing to target a position right before there's a big drop off and expected outcome, and that's that's kind of the best way to build a well-rounded team that uh, doesn't get left behind anywhere. Uh, so many keeper questions I wanted to get to, but I didn't, and we'll try to do it next week. Thank oh, you for listening. You weren't going to do the fun one. What was the fun one? The Barry Bonds one. How many home runs from Thomas? How many home runs would Barry Bonds have hit if he played at Yankee Stadium? So Baseball Reference has a really cool tool. If you go to their advanced stats page for players and go down to the bottom, you can adjust to different park contexts in different years. And uh, it looks like he might have hit a few more home runs. He would have hit 775 for his career if he had spent his entire career playing at 2008 Yankee Stadium. That's amazing. Uh, 756? Was it something like that? No, that sounds right. No, no. He, he didn't hit one more and then yeah, 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 yeah. So seven sixty two. I want to say okay. So thirteen more home runs. That's, that's not. That's really... a lot of. Home I don't know. Runs, I was guys. just guessing. No. I was just guessing. Oh, not Scott, for as long as his career was. Scott, that's you the... have zero home <laughs> runs, and you're gonna turn your nose up at thirteen. <laughs> okay. So he hit like less than one more a year by playing at the most. One of the most friendly home run parks. What did I guess? That's what did I, what was seven home runs more than you've ever hit. What year. was my guess? Seven sixty three or two? Right. Okay, oh. seven sixty two is the final answer. Wow, you got it completely wrong. Yeah, we're out of here, everybody. Have a great weekend. See you.